Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Jussi Roine, and normally I would be doing this episode with Tobias, but Tobias is doing his house move today. I'm not sure if it takes the whole day or the whole week or the whole weekend. And I, I kindly offered to help him out through a remote session on Teams, but he wasn't too happy about that idea. So I trust he'll take care of that furniture moving by himself. And uh, what I've been up to lately, and this is usually much easier when I'm talking with Tobias, but what I've been up to lately, I went to a library and it's been the first time in 16 months. So libraries mostly have been closed in Finland and now they are sort of opening again. So I went to the library this past weekend and I took the three-year-old with me and he was walking around in the library, the long aisles. He was super silent. And then he said, I love this place. He picked a book, just some random book, went to the sofa that we have in the libraries and started flipping through the pages. No pictures, just text, and he doesn't read yet. And he simply said, this is so much fun. I like being here, Dad. So it's it's funny how the old normal things feel precious again. And just going to the library is, is almost an adventure now, when before it, it felt a bit like a chore that do we really have to go to the library again? We just went last week. So that's probably the highlight of my week. But today we'll be talking about exploring Azure Synapse, and we have a guest, Mr. Vesa Tikkanen. Welcome, Vesa. Please introduce yourself. Thank you, Jussi. I'm Vesa I'm from Finland, self-employed, so running my own company. I don't. There is no one else in the in the company except me. I've been. I'm an original SQL Server MVP now, Data Platform MVP for some some years. What I do other than Microsoft data related things. Uh, I have three kids, so and every one of them is very active, uh, active on the different kind of activities. My oldest son swims like 10 times per week or something. So I mainly drive with, through throughout the southern part of Finland and my daughter, daughter plays football and also he, she has like five, six training activities plus games per per week. So, so you said you just said that kind of old things are like adventure now. Now I I, I kind of agree with you. So uh, I'm still in the mood that it's quite cool that they go can go to the swimming and and football games have started. But if I look the calendar and and see that. We are already planning inside family that okay, you go to that direction, we go to that direction, then try try to manage the next next event. I, I can I can see kind of the old good days coming coming also, but that's me. So so I don't know what what else. What kind of customers I do as a one man company? I do a lot of small things. So so not not anything large project or so. My customers are mainly from the manufacturing industry, public sector and, and finance. And then, as said, 
some small arrangement arrangement from various other other customers. But I don't know. I I, I love Microsoft data. That's that's what I do. <laughs> Sounds like a busy life. And I recall that you did the Microsoft Certified Master certification, and that feels like a century ago. Yeah. What <laughs> did you do that? That was still on the on-premises SQL Server style of of living at the time. Yeah, I actually uh, on those times I did the SQL Server 2008 version of the of the MCM, and then when they renewed the certification for the data platform just before the kind of certification went went away, I managed to do that also. Also, so I'm I'm one of those. I don't remember, was it 30 persons or some something who managed to kind of to do that later exercise also, also so so both both on premise last on premise and the first cloud version. Very impressive. I sometimes joke if a customer asks me that. So you see, what's this MCM you guys had back in whenever? And I said, well, it was a really great education. It cost a lot, but I did get a T-shirt, so I'm still happy with the T-shirt. So yeah. today, we'll, today we'll talk about Azure Synapse, and that aligns nicely with Azure Data, which is your specialty. And I think it's a super rich topic. So let's let's sort of start with the basics and then drill forward to Azure Synapse. Uh, so what what would you say? Somebody listening on this and not really intimately familiar with Azure data-related services and elements, what would you say are the essential elements and services in Azure when it comes to Azure data? Yeah, so first of all, you I completely agree. It's a, it's a kind of quite wide topic. Uh, the Synapse itself is a, it's a quite wide topic and, and then, then you even widened that. So, so <laughs> what's the Azure Data things? I, I, I would not start talking about individual services, but kind of what type of services I consider or, or what I think are part of the Azure Data offerings. And and definitely there are like storage and and querying services, like right, like you mentioned already, the Azure SQL or or Azure data lake as a as a kind of file storage definitely those are part of course they are part of someone would say that that for example azure storage is part of many other offerings offerings also but uh, in addition to storage layer they are kind of different type of uh, workloads that would would be okay or would be okay to be considered in uh, to be part of the azure data services for example uh, streaming data services we have variety of querying and storing, uh, queuing and, and storing tools uh, services for for that type of workloads. Uh, ETL, I mean, uh, ETL, ELT, batch services. We have variety of of those in in Azure. Uh, and then, of course, when you have landed and kind of managed to get the data to the cloud or, or stored somewhere, you need to visualize or model that so so there are tools for that i consider for example power bi to be one of those tools even someone would argue that is it an azure tool or or, or not but i in my world they are they are all all the same from the same cloud uh, and and then we should not forget all the kind of new advanced analysis tools so so 
machine learning, deep learning services also. So I would say we we would go if we would deep dive into these, it would not be like 40 minute episode. It would be like four weeks episode. <laughs> if we, so now that we sort of position that Azure data itself, it, it consists of a lot of different offerings in Azure. Uh, and sometimes if I uh, have a chat with people who do integrations mostly, it seems that they are super laser focused on what the exact cap uh, capabilities and services are. They might say, well, it's API management and it, it's logic apps and service bus and so on. So for Azure data, my understanding is that you often sort of pick and choose what you need. So you might have one project where you just use Data Lake and perhaps Azure SQL, and then another project that focuses more on Power BI and, and perhaps utilizes an existing API without the need for actually having data in between in there. So data always, to me, implies there's a SQL server hiding somewhere. Is that still a thing? I mean, if, if you work in Azure data with your customers and different projects, is it still that those skills you already had on SQL Server that you still need those on a daily basis? Or is SQL Server, is that left in the past and now we're fully in the cloud? Yeah, uh, I would say that SQL and Microsoft version of the SQL, uh, or that kind of inheritance that is coming from the SQL server will stay or and have a kind of permanent landscape. So definitely it will it will stay. But in, in Azure, we are talking about Azure SQL, Azure SQL, like a first step. We are talking about uh, Azure hyperscale SQL, which is the kind of addition on top of on top of that. Or, or today's topic was about Azure Synapse. Even in there, we definitely have the SQL server code base or or at least APIs available. Uh, and if you ask from me, is it here to stay or kind of will it vanish some someday? I would say that it's here to stay and mainly it's because of the endpoints. So it's not that we would want to keep uh, running the SQL server, old SQL on-premise SQL server in the cloud. Uh, that definitely has grown to the larger infrastructure and, and scalable infrastructure and, and most of the code base has seen during the years has been switched so so sql runs currently in kind of most of the workloads run in linux which was not the case a few years back or, or things like that so definitely like behind the scenes the engine layer has switched and, and evolved a lot but what has remained is the endpoint. So I, I did a demo some time ago where, where I presented capabilities of the Azure Synapse, the kind of greatest and latest from the Microsoft SQL impl implementation. And then I used the SQL Server 2000 querying tool for, for querying that endpoint. So the endpoint remains the same. And I think that's the, would say that that's one of the strengths in Microsoft offering that every tool we have that can query data pretty much can query from the sql server uh, and it doesn't matter what the actual application is behind or what the what kind of service is behind when as long as it exposes the tds endpoints or the sql server old-fashioned 
CDS endpoint, and then then you can run your queries on top of that. And and if you ask that, will the CDS endpoint remain? I would say that definitely that's that's here to stay. So that's one of the kind of key strengths in, in Microsoft Data Offering. So that's sort of the total opposite of what I often see in in Azure. I might open Cloud Shell. And I'm I'm running a command and it says, no, no, this is deprecated. You have to go with this new preview command now. And it feels like they keep on changing every two weeks. And and for once, I'd like to just memorize something and be ensured that that same capability remains there exactly as is for the next two years. But hearing this, I, I feel that everything in, in data in Azure is evolving but there's this huge support for legacy at the same time. So that sort of reminds me of Windows 10, perhaps, that you can still pick up code from 1985, and it sort of still runs in Windows 10, perhaps with a little bit of hacking around. So let's let's focus now more on Azure Synapse. What's, what's Azure Synapse? I've seen a couple of PowerPoints, but I have no idea why I would need to use this. So how would you sort of describe if a company needs Azure Synapse? Yeah, so first of all, Azure Synapse, I would not call it as an individual product. It's more like a, an umbrella term for different kind of services. And, and some of the services are actually something that exists also outside of Synapse. So let's take uh, integration pipelines. We have a tool called Azure Data Factory, which is actually one-to-one -one mapping. Mapping, so it's the same tool that exists on, underneath Synapse umbrella. So it's Synapse is a collection of tools and services you need for maintaining data-related activities and analysis-related activities in, in Azure. And and to kind of emphasize the analysis term there. So uh, it's not, I, I just had a conversation a few days ago that could we use the Synapse infrastructure in our ERP database, which is not how you should think of that. So, so databases for operational systems are outside, but kind of analysis workloads, that's where the Synapse umbrella term, term is. And it covers from end to end different services or, or tries to cover all the services from end to end related to that analysis workspace. Okay, so back in on-premises, we had SQL Server Analysis Services. And then in the cloud, I recall, we had something called the, uh, was, it, was it called the Azure Data Warehouse Service? So is Azure Synapse sort of a mix of, of these two in the sense that it brings you the analytics capabilities and it connects with your data, whatever the data is going to be, but this is more for doing analytics and, and getting insights from your data, as opposed to having an operational database where you would fiddle with the data at the same time that you're actually utilizing that data. Is, is that sort of the, the difference here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely not for operational usage, so, so, so we can take that out of the picture, as I uh, mentioned, but regarding the kind of exploration and analysis phase, uh, in at on-premises, we had uh, a parallel data warehouse or analytical platform system back in the day. So, so kind of big data warehousing uh, 
machine and and in the cloud it was SQL Data Warehouse which evolved to that that aspect and now SQL Data Warehouse has evolved to the one of the Synapse workload so as of today we have a two different SQL engines or workloads in the Synapse underneath the Synapse umbrella we have the serverless version and then the kind of provisioned reserved capacity version which has which is the evolution of the SQL data warehouse so it was basically an evolution of the analytical platform system from the on-premise infrastructure you mentioned also the analysis services uh, if I recall co correctly and, and there that service uh, is for the modeling modeling part so that I would say that that has evolved to the Power BI premium on, on the cloud so if you think about Synapse workloads even though I just said that it's from end to end I, I kind of meant that it's end to end minus the, the <laughs> modeling capabilities so Power BI premium is like a like a final modeling plus visualization layer layer requ required after the Synapse if you take the whole architecture okay so talking about architectures and I I often look at the Azure reference architecture library and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes uh if I'm building something for a customer or just for myself I might take those pre-made architectures and figure out what the elements are if I need to remove something if I need to add something so for a typical customer need uh what's what are the elements they need to consider obviously Azure Synapse is in there but uh, what else do they need beyond just Synapse? Yeah, so uh, I don't know which version or, or or which specific architecture you are you are you're currently viewing. But uh, if you take the kind of the modern data warehousing analysis architecture from the uh, from the Azure architectures list, uh, Synapse. <laughs> covers pretty much like 50%, 60% of the image image. And that's basically also um, means that many of the workloads are in the in the synapse. So so in my customer base and, and the exercises I have been running uh, running, customers typically already have something. So they kind of when they start their journey to the modern architecture, they want to pick up some kind of low-hanging fruit somewhere or, or kind of easy take some easy steps and I, I would actually say that the visualization and model is the kind of first step they will do so so definitely power bi would be the would be the one to choose choose first from the modern architect ar architecture but as we are today talking about synapse uh synapse workloads i i would say that that many of the customers are currently if they don't have a data lake they they are storing their data either in a relational database all type of data in a, in a relational database which means that it's ba they basically the cost of storing the data is quite huge because it's not cheap to store data in, in sql server or in relational database because you need to maintain indexes you need to need to maintain the kind of all, all the structures and also also the kind of underlying infrastructure is is very expensive I mean that if you have ever read the licensing 
prices of the SQL Server. It's not the, it's not cheap product. So so it doesn't make sense to store all type of data in there. And and then when customers are starting to modernize their legacy data warehousing, I would say that quite many of them are actually going towards data lake approach. So like saving only the like warm or hot data in their in the data warehouse and then like arch archive data or or kind of cooler data or more cool data on data lake and then what they would pick first is the azure data lake gen 2 and then it's kind of immediately after that they will evolve or they their demand or requirement for querying that data will arise and then then they will start finding okay what type of tool i would need that, that i would be able to utilize the data i have stored in the data lake and then the synapse on demand sql workloads would would be a good option if you do python or or other big data programming languages then spark cluster would be an op option so so i would say that it it starts in many cases it starts from the visualization modeling the power bi thing or it starts expanding your current storage system to the modern modern data lake architecture and then then you immediately after that take other tools into the picture because you need analysis power on for those data stored in the in the lake okay and I, I sometimes see customers using Azure Data Factory for pulling data, let's say from on-premises, they might have a bunch of legacy databases, or they might have an ERP system, and, and they've, they've chosen to use ADF, Azure Data Factory, to pull some data, drop that in Azure Data Lake, and would they then put Azure Synapse on the side of the data lake, and, and thinking in Azure terms, they might have one vnet and one resource group in that vnet and they would deploy adf uh the data lake and azure synapse in that resource group and they would then work together is, is this sort of the the approach here yeah I, I would say that that's that's actually quite common so azure data factory being an etl tool for for the cloud is very very common approach of course as i think i, I mentioned that, that in in synapse we have a another version so or or the same version but another flavor of the azure data factory included so synapse has a component called synapse pipelines and synapse what what the synapse pipelines are they are actually the same code base and same service as the azure data factory so quite many customers when they have kind of reached to that point what you just described they will kind of browse through the synapse menus and then find okay there are something called pipelines what are these they look and feel like they are azure data factory uh, and they are so uh, they are one kind of 100 compatible to each other so you can technically migrate your workload from the azure data factory to the uh, synapse workspace or synapse pipelines uh, and then kind of migrate that workload also uh, but as a first step they definitely already have the data factory and they will they will keep running that and then they will start planning how to move 
or do the inside inside tune-ups. Why would you do that? So so question maybe that if they are one-to-one mapping and and kind of 100% compatible to each other, why would you do that? Uh, Azure Data Factory doesn't have the kind of synapse orchestration capability. So so in in synapse pipelines, you can orchestrate also the synapse workloads, but outside uh, outside in the Azure Data Factory, you, currently at least you cannot orchestrate orchestrate the synapse Spark notebooks or or other workloads workloads. So I would say that if you if the company has chosen the synapse platform, they will eventually migrate their ADF also to the synapse workspace. Okay, this this makes perfect sense. Uh, but you mentioned Spark uh, previously, and my understanding is that Spark has it been an open source project from from Apache, I think, and and is is there some sort of a connection between Spark and Synapse, and why do I need Spark? Yeah, so uh, you're absolutely correct that that uh, Spark is an Apache project, and and Synapse. Uh, the Spark engine in, in Synapse is built on top of the open source Spark. Microsoft has enhanced that, so they have uh, additional libraries and optimizations built, uh, which been implement, which has been implemented on top of the open source Spark, and uh, they have done some other, I would say, quite big implementations. Like you can run C sharp workloads on the Synapse Spark. Which they have, Microsoft has open source, so so technically, it could be uh, or it would be possible to run C# sharp workloads also on other Spark distributions. But as of today, I I have not seen that that happening. So so it's it's currently something that is is very kind of Synapse only only workload. But uh, what what the Spark is that it's it's the distributed computing engine for analysis so so you can pick up a language which runs on top of the spark uh, originally scala and java were the first languages then then r and, and python came into the picture and and now microsoft has implemented c sharp as a language and also spark has its own sql language which some of the workloads can also also benefit so uh, it's a kind of distributed computation engine which allows you to run your workload in many different languages and then if you think about analysis workspace what would you use spark for is transforming your data so if you land something on your data lake and you need to transform that to other shape spark is a kind of good option for for that if you want to do some other advanced analysis like like execute some uh, predictions on top of your data, or, or something which scale, would scale to the uh, kind of bigger clusters, that the Spark would be a good engine engine for that. But if you have workloads that are not like scalable, it, they don't benefit from the distributed computation, then Spark is just a like a heavily priced machine for doing simple workloads. So uh, as an example, if you have Excel documents 
and 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 not that many Excel documents, and, and you would like to read data from there, so do some calculations, write the uh, data to the database. You technically could potentially develop an application, Spark application to do that, but I would assume that if you don't, for example, have multiple Excel files, you are not benefiting from the distributed computation because you can only open open uh, one Excel file at at the time. So so kind of it would not scale. But then if you have like IoT scenario where you have thousand files coming in, then distribution is easy because everyone can pick up a file. Every every node can pick up an individual file, and then you benefit benefit from that. So. So I would say that distributed this workloads on on analysis data. That's how you would define where to use Spark. Okay, I'm I'm learning as we go. So Azure Synapse, we now know why we would need that, and ADF the the alignment there is clear. But sometimes I end up with discussions with customers. Perhaps we are building something on Azure. And somebody from the customer might say, well, yeah, we're thinking of Synapse or perhaps Snowflake. So is is Snowflake, I, I know it's not a Microsoft product, it's a separate company, but they 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 support Azure as well. So so what sort of is, is the comparison between Snowflake and Synapse? And, and is there any clear guidelines on, on when a company should choose Snowflake or Synapse? Yeah, that's actually a good question, and, and and it's not it's not the Spark workload. So so definitely, uh, if you are considering Snowflake you, uh, and you have a requirement for for Spark workloads, you would potentially use some other kind of Spark, or you will need other offerings and services to run your your Spark workloads. But if you think about cloud native data warehousing. Then uh, I would say it's it's not fair if you think about cloud data warehouses without mentioning Snowflake. So so they have been like a big driver in the in the kind of this this space. So so they are they have great things, but if you if you compare them to Synapse, I would say that uh, Synapse has a good story for having or running multiple different workloads also in addition to the data data warehousing. But then you would Synapse is still very new. So so definitely if you like take line by line, feature by feature, what what is there uh, in, in data warehousing space. You still find things that that Snowflake has. Synapse doesn't yet have all, all those, but I would say that kind of how should you compare those services? Is that is that if you need additional workloads than data warehousing, being that integration, being that that integration to the other databases, live query mode against other uh, other database provi providers, being its Spark workloads. Uh, like that, then then Synapse definitely has more complete offering. But if you think about data warehousing scenarios, then uh, I would say that uh, there are Synapse still has some 
work to do there because we we have the or the kind of preserved cluster mode and we have the on demand querying exploration mode but and they are not like one to one mapping yet so so in synapse you need to you can do same things but you actually need to kind of figure out that okay for this workload i need to do use that component and for this workload i need to use use that that component so but uh if we look back like six months we have gone kind of huge amount or synapse has taken a lot of steps steps towards where the where the snowflake is so so but but the question is fair so so uh, if you think about cloud native uh data warehouses then then you should kind of look for the facts and features of both both of the services okay and one one last question here before we move 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 on what about databricks and I openly admit I know very little about the Databricks, uh, but I often see that sort of aligned with something in Synapse. So is, is Databricks, which is also another Microsoft product, is Databricks something similar to what Synapse with Spark is? Yeah, so actually Databricks is its own company and Databricks uh, is, is a company who is a main contributor to the Spark engine. So if you if uh, if even though spark was an apas spark project if you go to the git repository and look who, who has committed the most or, or who has most most commit uh, data there or, or lines code in, in in the product i would say that databricks leads that category so so databricks is like a father of the of the spark and, and then uh you are right on that that they offer only they offer their spark engine through service in uh, azure and also other clouds clouds today so uh, you can you can buy apas spark engine called databricks and use that on your workloads if we just talk about the snowflake so if you would be a snowflake customer you would probably look for databricks as your spark spark engine that could be could be an option uh, in in synapse microsoft has its own version of the spark engine so so that that they someone would say that there is a kind of competition or or they they why why would you choose one or the other and I would say that, uh, or I quite often argue that it's not one or the other. It's actually that they fulfill or or complement each other because both of the Spark engines, Databricks and and Synapse Spark, they run on top of the Azure Data Lake, and and then you can kind of read data from the Data Lake, do your workload, save it somewhere, and and, and Spark work, workloads quite often are batch workloads so so you you do something for your data and, and save it somewhere and then as both of the engines are running on top of the same storage you can use both of them why would you use both both of them or, or why wouldn't you use just just one is that on the uh, pure engine feature functionality point of view at least today Databricks has a lead so so it has a more complete or, or kind of more facts features available but it doesn't have the integration story so so then if you on the 
Synapse Spark, do some transformation, create a table object from it. You have it available immediately available from the on-demand SQL. So you can use Excel to connect your, your Spark workloads, which you cannot do in Databricks before you have installed ODPC drivers and, and the kind of the different things that you require to connect to the Databricks cluster. And then I would say that that's kind of blocking many customers because because it's it just a hassle to get to get all that that done. And then then like in Synops, when we have that TDS endpoint, the SQL Server endpoint, it, it's like very easy to con connect. And, and that's why Synops Spark definitely has a place where where it can uh, to be uh, and up until like last week or something uh synapse spark was like a some versions older than the databricks so so i for example had a customer which required some of the libraries that were not available for the older older version of the spark so we even though we were running on top of the synapse we actually were running databricks workloads because they were not available in the, in the Synapse infrastructure. Now, like last week, they, the Spark 3.0 came to the Synapse now as a preview, but, but nevertheless came, came out. And now we can move those workloads on top of the Synapse in, infrastructure. But it, I would say because Databricks is so heavily influencing and developing Spark and is a main contributor there, it, it will be that Databricks has like the latest and greatest things going going forward, but that that's not kind of one or the other thing. It's that use Databricks for workloads where you need them, and then use Synapse for integrated experience and integrated workloads where you where you need them, and then they don't compete with each other. Okay, you you mentioned ODBC, and that's that's a term I haven't heard in years anymore. Even though I do realize it's very much used still nowadays, so. One last thing, uh, what's Synapse Link? I recall something like this was announced perhaps in, in the late 2020 Ignite or perhaps it was 2021 Ignite. On, on one of the data keynotes, uh, they mentioned Synapse Link and I was confused because I was trying to keep up to date. Okay, there's Azure Synapse, there's the Spark thing and now there's a Link thing. So so what's this? Yeah, Synapse Link is, is one of the services or capabilities i would say that that is inside the synapse um, umbrella and and actually it's not like something you turn on in in the synapse it's actually something you turn on somewhere else so just like build conference last week it they announced synapse link for dataverse so so uh, it's something that if you want to integrate to Dynamics and, and make your Dynamics data available within your Synapse infrastructure. You can enable within the Dataverse, you can enable a tick that, yes, please integrate to Synapse. And then Microsoft will kind of do all the plumbing that, that you have an endpoint in, in Synapse where you can write your SQL select statements. And, and what it actually happens behind the scenes is that it's queries it queries the data directly from the dynamics. Or we have a Synapse link for Cosmos. So if you have a Cosmos database somewhere and, and you want 
to be able to query that data from the Synapse infrastructure, you enable Synapse link in Cosmos. And then plumbing happens and you have a SQL endpoint. You can query all your big data data, but also kind of your linked data, which means that you can query your Cosmos data, data that sits on the on the Cosmos database. It's not something that is like online. So it, it wouldn't make sense that if you write a C, kind of SQL statement in Synapse and it would query the data on the fly in Cosmos DP, because potentially you would kind of run all out of your requests. So so it would kind of be you would be affecting the actual operational workload. So Synapse link implementations are always some kind of cached version of the database. So so one part of the Synapse link is that that when when that service is available, you have a copy of the data somewhere. And then Microsoft takes care of the syncing the data. So for example, in Cosmos, they guarantee that it's under five minutes. So it's not real data, live data, it's under five minutes. But if you kind of do aggregations, what are my sales last week, what are my sales sales last month, or, or how many activities in my online gaming have happened yesterday or something. It doesn't matter like the five minute delay is not, not the thing, thing, but but the kind of benefit that you are not running your requests against the operational database actually a good good thing. So Azure Synapse Link, uh, it has support for Dataverse now and Cosmos DB. This this reminds me of a, of a project I was working on a couple of years ago. We had one SQL server database in a VM and we needed to replicate certain tables from that instance to a different SQL server setup that was in a different network for external users. And somebody from a customer side asked that, Yussi, can you make it so that it's real time, the replication? And I, I asked, so could you please define your, your, your uh, perception of what real time means? And they said, well, less than a second. So if we add something in here, it needs to reflect in there. And I spent a lot of long afternoons fiddling with the different transactional replication settings in SQL Server. Eventually, I got it up and running, all the alerts and, and everything was, was super fancy. And then I presented the, the results to the customer. They said, yeah, this is great. Too bad our data only updates once every two days, but now it's real time. <laughs> That's good. So, That's good. Yeah. So I was happy. I learned a lot on, on SQL Server, but it reminds me even today that whenever you're building something, especially with data, uh, you really need to understand the business need. And, and why are we doing this? Because it's too easy to just get immersed in all the settings and features and capabilities without really sort of remembering what, what set us to actually do this. So one last question. How much can can people expect Azure Synapse to cost? If I have an Azure subscription from my Microsoft Partner Network uh, benefits, it has $85. Is that enough or is it more? Yeah, that's enough. If you don't define the time span, how long you would, <laughs> would like to run your workload. So so definitely that's, that's enough. So uh, the question is very hard. Uh, I, I would like to say that uh, in Synapse, you have two different workloads or kind of every every workload has two different workloads. So, so you can either 
have an ongoing service with reserved capacity and, and reserved resources. And that definitely has a like an hourly price. And if you multiply hourly price by number of hours per month, you would be looking at minimum hundreds of euros per, per month. So it's it, it would not be fair to say that you could run production workloads in tens of euros or something something like that. So that's kind of first answer. But then uh, if you think about, as you said, the business requirement, what would you do with the, with the data? Many of the workloads are actually something that you run and stop. So, so if you, for example, you have that Power BI report, which needs to be processed and, and data needs to be transformed for that. You would, you could be running your uh, your Spark workload for 10 minutes and then, then then stop it, and then your SQL endpoint for some queries that which load to the Power BI, and, and then they will they will stop. So, so if you can kind of not if you if you can build your pipelines or your your workflow in a way that you don't keep services running, then it's actually quite cheap. So so those on-demand resources you pay either by query per minute or megabytes scanned. And and if you if you for example take the megabytes scanned version, so you use your SQL endpoint, your SQL Server endpoint with that flavor, so the paid by query, uh, you can scan like terabyte of data and pay like a dollar or, or euro or something something like that. So so then I would say you can actually do quite big things uh, with very little amount of money, but that's uh, again saying it's not fair to say you can run with 10 euros you could run your production workload my customers are most of them are targeting on a kind of high end hundred so 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 thousand would be a good good number per month per month rather than 100. okay makes makes perfect sense thank you this was super useful because when we are done with recording this episode uh, i will open my azure portal and and see what i can do with my 85 dollars still left in one of the subscriptions uh one last thing the surprising question and since toby is not today with us uh it's my turn to ask you vesa uh so if you could get any superpower one that already exists in comics or movies or one that you invent yourself, what would it be and why? Well, that was a surprising question. Uh, I, I like comics a lot, so so uh, both Marvel and, and DC comics are 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 like good good thing. I even have a, a named my kind of car, which is requested when I take it take it that or receive the car it asks that how do you want to call that in your mobile app and and elsewhere that's that's called with one some marvel character so i would probably pick up one of those uh those characters so let's if we think we could i could be mystique and and before you say something the kind of why mystique is that uh, that character can be whatever 
she wants. So so she can turn to anything that that she wants. So if I would like to be a Jussi, I could be a Jussi tomorrow. And then if I would like to be a Tobias next week, I could be a Tobias next week. So I would say that would be very cool. So I, I will pick up a mistake. That's a that's a really good choice. So perhaps this weekend choose me because Tobias is is doing his move and he's lifting heavy things. But perhaps next week when he's done with his move and and he's enjoying barbecue by the sea, then you can be Tobias. For yeah. a brief moment when you said that that you actually named your I was thinking did you name your kids after the Marvel comics? No. But then you said your car. So that's yeah. a, that's relief. Alrighty, thank you, thank you, Vesa. Uh, we'll put your contact information in the show notes as well. If if anybody wants to get in touch with you, thank you for this, and uh, thank you to the audience. And until next week, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.